jump right in here to uh, week four of our, of our message here on the Sermon of the Mount, which is understanding what Jesus wants his followers to be and do. Uh, we're going to be kind of starting a, a new section. We're going to be, uh, the section kind of title for this, this week is, is a Christian's righteousness. Now, what we're going to see is over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of keep that theme of a Christian's righteousness, but we're even going to have a break that down a little bit further. And basically today it's, it's Christ the Christian and the law. Next week, it'll be the Christian's righteousness and a little something else. But we're going to kind of break it down uh, section by section and kind of look at these things. But all of these over the next couple of weeks kind of deal with our righteousness as a follower of Christ. And so in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, uh, basically this is what Jesus says. He's continued now. He's, he's talked about the salt. He's talked about the light. And now he's entering into a kind of a new section. And it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the laws of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so in this situation, Jesus is asking a question or answering a question. And we have to kind of understand this because more than likely, if he's answering a question, he's, he's dealt with this issue before. He's kind of looked at these, these things before. So we're going to look at the first idea here, which is Christ's relation to the law and prophets, okay? We're going to kind of look at how Jesus responds to this question, how he looks at this question, and kind of what this is all about. And the first thing we need to ask is, why is Jesus even dealing with this issue? Why does Jesus feel the need to answer this? Because here's what he's probably doing. He's probably heard this question before. He's, he's seen people's weird looks and seen their response to certain aspects of his ministry at this point. And so now he's taking this as an opportunity to address a larger question. So why is he even dealing with this? And the first thing I want to talk about is the Sabbath controversy, okay? Now, this is going to not be on your screen, and I, it is in your notes, but I didn't, it's going to take too long. But in Mark, the second chapter, starting with verse number 23 and going to about 3-6, you see this situation in Jesus' ministry where, where basically a couple of things happen. Number one, his disciples are walking through a field and they reach down and they grab some, some heads of wheat off the stalks and they begin to eat them. And the Pharisees and the scribes see them doing this and accuse Jesus and his followers of breaking the Sabbath because they're working. Okay, this was a big, big no-no. You didn't do this. And so Jesus' followers are actually going through and they're eating these things. And so they have a, a big argument about this. And Jesus says, listen, you're, you're missing the point. This is not what this is about. And then it continues on where Jesus, there's a man with, 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 with in, in the, the King James Version that I remember, a man with a withered hand. Or a man with a hand that's, that's not working properly. And Jesus heals the man. And he actually heals the man on the Sabbath. And again, this is, this is a big no-no. So Jesus has already done things that in some people's minds have shown him to be somebody that is breaking the law and not doing that. Now we're going to explain a little bit later why that is not the case. But this is the controversy that he's dealing with. So people are whispering. They're saying, hey, did you know that his followers did this? Hey, did you know that Jesus healed on this? Did you know this is happening? So basically... This this is kind of one of those things that is happening that is a concern. They're going, well, wait a minute. He's breaking these things. He's causing 
issues and this is a problem. Look at, uh, and, and, and the next question we're going to look at is the question of authority. Okay? Now, this is a big deal because this deals with several different things. But look at Mark 1.27. In Mark 1.27, it says this. Amazement gripped the audience. This is people talking about the teaching of Jesus. And they begin to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey its orders. In Matthew 5, 18a, in this verse we see something interesting again. It says, for truly I say to you. Now, you might read that and go, well, I don't understand. What does that mean? And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a, in a moment. But basically what we're seeing here is there's a new authority. There's a new kind of sheriff in town, if that makes sense. And people are completely blown away by it. Because a lot of times what the teachers and the scribes and the rabbis would do is they would teach and they would express things, but there was no authority behind it because they weren't the authority. Jesus is. And the people are noticing that and seeing that. And then Jesus does something interesting. And we're going to talk about this in, in more in detail later on, where Jesus begins to say, you have heard this But I say this. This was a completely new idea that no one had ever heard before. Because everyone that was a scribe and a a teacher of the law would say things, for the law of Moses says you should do this. They were allowing the scripture, if that makes sense, or the Torah to be their authority. Jesus here is saying, I am the authority. Remember what John said about Jesus. He is the word. And so he is speaking here with authority they've never seen before. So they're going, okay, wait a minute. This is something new. This is something different. We've never experienced teaching like this and the authority of like this because Jesus is doing something that's never happened before. He's basically standing up and he's saying, basically, listen, this is what I say. Okay? We talk about that with our kids. You know, it's, 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 it's well, so-and-so does this, or so-and-so, well, well this, is what the, this is what dad says, or this is what mom says. And that has authority because we are their parent, okay? A lot of times if I tell your kid to do something, they may not do it. Why? Because I'm not the parent. I'm not the authority. And so for the first time, if this makes sense, for the first time these people are experiencing the authority that comes from God, and they're kind of blown away by it. So now they're going, wait, this is all new. This is different. Demons are, are, are obeying this stuff. What is going on? And so they're looking at this. And so they're having this question. What is this? What is going on? So how does Jesus actually answer this question? Let's look at Matthew 17 and 18. It says this. It says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so here is the thing. So Jesus here basically is looking at this. He says, listen, you think I've come because of some of the things that have happened and because of the authority issue. You think I've come to abolish it. And Jesus says, I have not come to abolish it. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill it. I have come to make it all right. I have come to take care of those issues. Look in your notes. This is important that you catch this. It says this, Jesus did not come to abolish the word of God, but to free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly interpreted it. Okay? Do you understand? 
Okay, Jesus didn't come, and because sometimes we see this, we see this kind of. I know it sounds weird, almost this battle between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and and oh, well, we're under the, the New Testament and the New Covenant. Jesus doesn't come and say, basically, say, hey, listen, everything that's in the Old Testament is worthless and wrong. He says the way that you have interpreted it is wrong, and I have come to fulfill it and to help you understand exactly what it is about. Okay, I heard somebody, I, I listened to a, a podcast, and I heard this on the podcast recently, and they were talking about the Bible and how to describe the Bible, and this guy says, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and the friend of mine said, hey, listen, I can, I can sum up the Bible, the entire Bible, in under 15 seconds. And the guy was like, what do you mean? He said, it's real simple. Genesis to Malachi, Jesus is coming. Matthew to John, Jesus is here. Acts to Revelation, Jesus is coming back. That's it. It's all about Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, everything that's in the law and the prophets is wrong and you shouldn't worry about it. He's basically saying, let me express to you, let me show you how it's to be fulfilled through me and through my life. So it's a simple question. How does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Number one, Jesus fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law and in the prophets in that he brought full revelation. We understand because of Jesus exactly what's going on. Okay, We understand what the doctrinal practices should be, why we should do the things that we should do, why we should live the way that we should live. He brings that and helps us to understand that because he actually lives it out. He shows us a perfect example what it is to follow all the laws and all the teachings that we see in the Old Testament that God has asked us to do. Next, Jesus fulfills the predictive prophecy of the law and prophets in that he is the prophet promised one. He's the one that everybody's talking about. He's, you know, when you read all these, these um, wonderful, beautiful, especially like at, at Christmas time, um, all these prophecies about Emmanuel and about, oh, he was bruised and, and, and beaten for, you know, all these, th- this is all about Jesus. He is the one that they've been talking about. He's the one that has been told it was coming. So he's fulfilling these prophecies. I love it when you look at some of the New Testament writings, especially in in Matthew, even at the beginning where he does the begots, you begin to see this this pattern. And this is how Jesus fulfilled this. And this is how Jesus fulfilled that. And this is how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy and that prophecy. He came and he's beginning and he's fulfilling all of those things. Next. Jesus fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets in that he fully obeyed them, and this is important, and he reinterpreted them in their truth. Okay, We're going to talk about this in a little bit later. Well, I won't even go there. We'll talk about it later. But basically, Jesus comes and he shows us what is required of us in that moral and legal uh, understanding. And the final one, and of course, this is one of the most important ones, is Jesus fulfills the penalty of the law and the prophets for us by his death on the cross, taking the penalty we deserve. One of the reasons that we see all this New Testament or Old Testament stuff is because it shows us how how flawed we are, how much we need a savior, how many mistakes we make over and over again. And that penalty for that sin, which starts in the garden, is death. Jesus comes and he fulfills the penalty of it. He says, I will come and I will be that person that takes on that penalty so that we can be seen as the righteous sons and daughters of God, which is amazing. And it's wonderful because that's what Jesus does. So he doesn't come and abolish it. He doesn't come and say, oh, that's worthless and nonsense. He comes and he fulfills 
fills it. I remember one time I, I, was, I was back in Albuquerque. And just to kind of talk about sometimes how we can have this kind of negative idea of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I was, um, I, I hadn't been um, there in Albuquerque too terribly long, maybe a year or something. And I had spoke on a Sunday morning. It was one of the first times that I'd spoken what I still lovingly call big church. And so I had shared in big church and they had taped it and kind of lived, you know, how things were at the time. Uh, I, I wanted my grandparents to hear it. And so I had them burn a CD, you know, back in the old days, you know, burn a CD and I send it to grandpa and grandma and they listened to it and they, they talked to me. And one of the things grandpa said was, because uh, I spoke out of Joshua and he thought that was so great that I had spoken out of the Old Testament. And I said, well, grandpa, it's the Bible too. He says, I know, but you'd be surprised sometimes how that doesn't happen all that often. And so Jesus here is not looking at these stories and these laws and these understandings as something that we shouldn't look at and learn from. He's wanting us to understand them in his way of us seeing them. Because let's be honest, a lot of times when human beings get their hands on God's stuff, we dirty it up. We mess it up. We cause there to be problems and issues. And so Jesus is coming like, hey, listen, I, I know you're meaning good. I know you're doing the best you can. But let me really explain to you and show you, which is really great for somebody like me, what that looks like. So Paul, after all this is now said and done, Paul in his letter to the Romans wants us to see that. He wants us to understand the fulfillment of the law through Jesus in his letter. And so we're going to look at a couple of scriptures to see that. First, Romans 10, 3 through 4. It says this. Uh-oh. I think I can get that. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. To I can't read that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. I don't... I got you. Hold on. I actually have a Bible. What, I have to use that. It's okay. Things happen. We'll get it. Now I'm trying to go slow so I don't jump over it and end up in, you know, 1 Peter. Romans 10. Let's get this written, or, sorry, let's get this read correctly. 10, 3 through 4. It says this. Let's start again. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ, and check this out, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so Paul is starting to lay this groundwork here. Now let's jump ahead to Romans 3, 21 through 22. Very good. It says this, now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, that's important. Paul here again is not saying, hey, this is all worthless. He's saying we need to change how we see it and how we understand it. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so again, we're not throwing it out, we're not throwing the baby out with a bath, bath water. We're using it to understand a deeper understanding of what Christ has done. Now look at Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says this, and we know this, we've heard this scripture probably before. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order 
that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, so even Paul, later on, is trying to help us to understand exactly what the situation is now because of what Jesus has done. So with all that in mind, the next question is quite simple. What's the Christian's relation to the law? So now what does this mean for us? As this is more application. What does this mean? Because this is something that we need to understand. Look at Matthew 19, 20. It says this, Therefore... Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, remember that's important, not not Moses' authority, not the scriptures or the prophets, but I, what I as Jesus, for what I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's Jesus talking about here? What is he looking at? Let's jump into our notes here and let's kind of dive into this together. Number one, this is something we need to understand. Okay, The first thing is the commandments are to be obeyed as explained and fulfilled by Jesus' life and teaching, not as, the, not as in the legalistic thinking of the religious authorities of Jesus' day. Okay? Sometimes we have these, these questions, well, well, what about this, or, or why don't we follow the dietary things, and, and, and we could get into a lot of, uh, of things and a lot of understandings here, but But let me give you a simple example, okay? And this is something we can all understand. Why after Jesus, you know, the the Jewish people were commanded by God in the Old Testament that there would be certain times where they would give a sacrifice, uh, an animal or a dove or, or even sometimes grain or things like that, and they would sacrifice that to God. And that would be kind of an atonement for their sins. It would basically make them in some ways, even though not completely righteous in the eyes of God. And so why don't we today as Christians, why don't we do the same? Why don't we have an altar up here and a little trough and everything that they have in the Old Testament? And why are we not doing the same thing? It's quite simple. Jesus came and fulfilled that part of the law. He was our sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So we don't do that anymore. You see, that's what we're talking about here. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I've come to fulfill these things. So these other things are no longer relevant to what you are doing in the situation that you find yourself in. And so Jesus here is explaining and he's helping us to see by his life and his actions and his teachings these understandings and these things. So that's kind of the understanding. And and, and there's lots of other things here. We don't have time to go into every single little thing. But basically, that's kind of a good way, I think, to kind of explain exactly why we don't do some of those things. Next, okay, this is important that we catch this. These are things that we need to look at in our own lives. These commandments are not just to be obeyed but taught, okay? Jesus here is interesting. He doesn't just say, listen, you got to obey this stuff. He commands us to teach it. And he basically gives a a two-sided coin here. He says, listen, the least of you will be those that teach not to do this. The greatest will be those that not just obey, but teach it. 
Okay? One of the things I think that we have to really look at here on Father's Day, or you know, whether we're a mom or a dad or, or a grandpa or a grandma or whoever, is that God doesn't just want us to obey the things that he's asked us to do, but to teach those things, to help those that we have in our lives to understand those understandings and, and what that looks like and how that is. And so Jesus here is talking about, listen, as a Christian, as, as our relationship, it's not just enough just to obey. That's a great start, and we need to do that, but let's also teach. Let's also teach by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we experience life with each other. And that's important to understand. And then finally, we get into this almost mind-blowing situation where Jesus says, listen, our obedience... Uh, should exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't say that they should just be at the same level. He says they should exceed. Now let's stop for a second and let's talk about the scribes and the Pharisees and the type of individuals that they were. Because this is one of those moments where if you begin to understand how important the law was to them, this is a scary statement. This is a statement where you go, okay, wait a minute. What do you mean, Jesus? You need to clarify, okay? Because the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes, they had basically, they calculated, they had about 248 commandments and, and uh, hold on. Oh, yeah, that's right. There you go. I got it. And 365 prohibitions in the law, okay? So I, I'm not great at math. But basically, I did, I used a calculator, and I got, they basically talking about 613 rules that we are to follow. Jesus talks about this. He talks about their response and, and how they handle all these things. Is basically talking about how there are certain things where, where he, he talks about the Pharisees and, and talks about the scribes and says, listen, you, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. He says, basically, you will, you will tithe uh, basically a tenth of what's in your herb garden, but you, but you won't actually follow what the, the understanding of the law really is. And, and he basically kind of talks about these things. But these guys were extremely strict. They were extremely devout to these things. I, I read this story. It took place, uh, just kind of give you an idea here, in 1992. So this is not years and years and years and years ago. I mean, it, it seems a little bit, well, it seems like it's farther back now than I want to admit because I was in high school at the time. But basically there was a fire in a very devout section of, I don't know if it was Jerusalem or, or Israel, someplace in Israel. And inside uh, this, um, this community, there was a house that, turned, that got on fire and it was the Sabbath day. And they basically didn't know what to do because to a devout Jewish person, to make a phone call on the Sabbath is against the law. Not against the law as far as like you go to jail, but against their moral code. Because that is a, a circuit, basically, that is being broken, and that's work, and that's un, like, you can't do that. So they had to go, let the, they were letting the house burn down so they could go find a rabbi and talk to the rabbi and say, listen, can we call the fire department without breaking the Sabbath? It took two hours. The guy said, Yes, you can call. You can call the fire department. Four more houses burnt down in the process. I mean, I, I tell you that story not because I'm throwing rocks, or I want you to be like, "Well, that's crazy." I wouldn't. I, I want you to understand the devoutness of the, these individuals. And Jesus is saying, "Hey, listen. You know the guys that let everything burn in their house to the ground. You have to exceed that." Now. I'm not going to speak for anybody but me. 
I got no shot. I mean, I'm not even close. I mean, I listen, we got 10 commandments, you know what I mean? I can't keep the 10. 613, no way. No chance. I got nothing. And Jesus says, you got to exceed that. What is he talking about? What in the world is he looking at this? And let's look at our notes, because I think this is a great way to close this and look at this together. It says this, Christian righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees because it is much deeper. It is a righteousness of the heart. It is a righteousness of the heart. You see, a lot of times the righteousness of the scribes following and the the Pharisees following the law was not a deep thing. It was, I'm following the rules thing. I'm doing this because I'm trying to please God and I'm trying to do something. And, And Jesus came and he brought us something deeper, which is beautiful. Look at these scriptures with me because I love these. These are Jeremiah 31 through 33. It says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God basically is saying, listen, when Jesus comes and he does all these things, the law is going to become a different thing. Again, it's not gone. It's not removed. But now God's going to write these things on our hearts. He's going to allow these things to be a part of who we are. Listen, here's the bottom line. If you try to fulfill the laws, whether they be just the 10 or the 613, you will fail. Because on our own and in our own strength, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's not going to be enough. And Jesus and God is saying, listen, I will put them the law within them. I will do this. I will write it on their hearts. And then if you ask me, one of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful and be careful to obey my rules. I love this because here what we're talking about is is the the, the righteousness in a lot of ways of the Pharisees was a man-made righteousness. It was if I just follow the rules, if I just do this, then God will respond like this and God will do this. And and it basically, let's just be honest, it mirrors every religion we've ever seen. It's this idea that if I can just be good enough, if I can just do all these things, then then God will somehow know me and God will somehow care for me and God will somehow protect me and God will somehow do this. And the thing is, at the beginning in the Old Testament, yeah, God is giving these laws to protect his people, to help them, but to do this, to prepare for us to understand our need for Jesus. That way we would understand our need for a Savior and the need for a Messiah and the need that we can't figure it out on our own. And so what God says, listen, hey, listen, you can't do this on your own. You can't follow 10. You can't follow 6 to 113. You can't do it. You need me. And so in these scriptures, what we see is God intervening in the situation. Maybe just because of what happened recently, but I am so glad that our God intervenes in our situations. That our God doesn't just sit back on his rear end and just sit there and go, well, we'll see what happens. Well, good luck. 
He intervenes. He comes apart. He, he inserts himself in the situation. One of the things that we love about, I love about Christmas and I love about that story is the fact that our God doesn't just sit back and let us wallow in, in misery and fear and in, in judgment and condemnation. He inserts himself into the situation. He says, listen, you can't do it on your own. Listen, you, you, your righteousness is like dirty rags. They're not going to be good enough. So I'm going to come and I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to change the situation and I'm going to change you and I'm going to take that heart of stone. I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And what's interesting is when we see God enter into the situation, then because of what he has done, he gives us the ability to obey what he's asked us to do. How horrible would it be if I walked up to Craig and said, Craig, you, I have a responsibility for you. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, you spend eternity without, without God. And this is just the situation. Somehow, some way, Craig, you have got to make a planted flower come out of your head, literally grow out of your head. You have all your life to do it. But if you can't do it, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. How frustrating is that? No wonder these people that were hearing the words of Jesus are hearing something new. Because it was like, listen, 613? I can't do that. That's impossible. I don't care how good you are. Think of the greatest, nicest, most wonderful person you've ever met. They failed. And they fail a lot. It's like God coming down and saying, listen, you got to grow a dandelion out the top of your noggin. And, And listen, no cheating. No putting soil there and putting a plant and water in it. No. It's got to spring from inside your noggin. No wonder it was so devastating. No wonder it was so, how are we going to do this? No wonder Jesus talks about the, the load that the Pharisees put on people. They can't do it. One thing that we've got to understand as a Christian, that we've got to understand as the law that God has put in our hearts, our relation to it is the understanding that basically God is going to do what he needs to do to make it possible for us to be righteous in his eyes. Thank God. He says, that's why Entry into God's kingdom is impossible without a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. It is because such a righteousness is evidence of a new birth. And no one enters the kingdom without being born again. We can't do it on our own, folks. We can try and we'll fail. We can try to meet all the laws and all the requirements and all the things. We can argue of what that looks like and, and, and should we make a phone call on, on Saturday or Sunday depending on how we look at those things. Should we, should we do this? Should we do that? Listen, bottom line is, is we've all failed. Our righteousness, as Paul said, is like dirty rags. We need Jesus. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. We need him. You see, sometimes I've wondered, God, why did, you, why did you do the things you did? Why did you, you know, we, you know, we read it a lot of times in the Old Testament. Um, I, my family and I, we read every night uh, Bible stories with Easton. And so we've gone through this. We, we need a new book because, I mean, it's, it's falling apart. But we're, we're in um, the, the trans, uh, the 
where the Israelites have left Egypt and they're, they're going through the desert. We just, we're, we're, we're tonight's Jericho. That's a, good, that's a good story, you know? That's a good one, you know? But we've done all this. And, and we've read about, and, and Moses would, would call the Israelites, oh, you just stubborn, stiff-necked people and, and all these sort of things. And it's real easy for us, you know, to be like, yeah, those Israelites. And then we start to look at ourselves and go, oh, my goodness, maybe I shouldn't throw a rock here at the Israelites. But, 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 but everything is connected, okay? Now, of course, again, when, when we get our hands on God's stuff, we dirty it up. We, we cause confusion and, and, and strangeness, and, and we take ten commandments, which are perfect, all that we truly need in a lot of ways, and somehow we get 613. I mean, how we did that, I guess we had lots of time on our hands, but we did it. But the bottom line is we, on our own strength and our own righteousness, can't even follow the ten. We break them constantly on a daily basis and we go to our Father who forgives us. And that righteousness is not based on how perfect we live our lives. That righteousness is based on the gift of Jesus. You see, what the law really was, what the law really, the purpose of it all, was to point us to the need of a Savior. Was to point us to the fact that on our own power and our own strength, we can't. You know what I love about that scripture in Ezekiel about God coming in and taking that heart out and, and, and even in Jeremiah where God writes those things in our hearts. You know what he's doing? I've talked about this before and I think it's important that we catch this today. We can do things out of religious obligation. We can do things out of fear. I don't want to go to hell or, or I, I want this good thing to happen and you know, you kind of, kind of the, the there are no atheists in foxholes kind of mentality. When things go bad, we run to God, you know. There's a test coming up. Oh, God, help me. Those types of situations. The problem is, is with those things, no matter how righteous we try to be, we tend to always fall back into our sinful nature and the things. And I think what God wants to do through Jesus when he says, I want to write these things on your heart. I think Jesus wants us to do these things and follow these commandments, not out of a religious obligation, but because we love him. I don't want my son to be, to do what I've asked because he's afraid of the punishment. I want my son to do it because he loves his dad and he knows his dad loves him and he knows that his dad has his best interests at heart. Now, if that's me in my sinful brokenness, how much more does God look at us and say, listen, I want you to do this because I want you to trust me. I want you to do this because you love me. Because I do know what's best. Because I do know what your future is and I know how this is all going to come together and be beautiful. But I promise you this. If you try to follow God's laws and you do it from a place of of legalism and a place of of coldness and a place of I've got to follow the rules and got to, you are going to miss the fullness of life that Jesus came and promised us. I've lived both. I've lived where I've just tried to follow the rules and be a good boy. 
and I've done it for the wrong reasons. And I've done it again where I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to be a good boy, but I'm doing it because of what all that Jesus has done for me. Because of how much he loved me first. Because he reached down and grabbed a hold of my hand. Not the other way around. Not me reaching, trying so hard and striving. And oh, if I could just get a little bit better. If I could just, oh, then God would know my name. I love that Jesus says, listen, even the hairs on your head are numbered. That's what our Jesus does. So yeah, should we be good? Do the best we can? Absolutely. We should strive to live lives of holiness and righteousness. But we also have to understand in our failure, our Jesus comes. And he does what only he can do. And so we can stand before our Father with righteousness. Not because of our perfection, but because of his grace and mercy and goodness. So can we do this? Can we just close our eyes? Let's talk for just a short minute. Okay? I just have a question. Which, which side of this coin are you falling on? Are you falling on the side that says, I, I, just, I just, in my own strength, and in my own righteousness, and in my own, I'm going to do this, 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 and this? Just be honest. Listen, this is between you and God. Okay? Is that you? Or maybe, maybe this, and and Paul dealt a lot with this in Romans as well. You think because Jesus has come and because you've been forgiven, you can kind of do what you want. You know, I mean, Paul dealt with this. He said, he said, you know, people are basically saying because we've been forgiven, because we have grace, we should sin so that grace can abound. And Paul said, that's crazy. That's not what you're supposed to be doing here. But sometimes we can live that way. We can can take advantage, if that makes sense, of the forgiveness of Jesus. Well, he's going to forgive me anyway. I'll do it anyway. The kind of attitude of, I'll ask for forgiveness later instead of permission now. You know, I believe that God will forgive that. But I promise you this, there will be some consequences to those actions. And sometimes they're not easy to deal with. We're all striving for the same thing, you know. We're all trying to, to fix the problem that every human being on this planet has ever had, and it's that sin problem. It's that separation from the God who created us. And a lot of people try a lot of different ways. You know, we, we hear this a lot. Oh, there's lots of ways to deal with that. There's lots of roads and lots of... Th- and then Jesus came and he said, listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No one goes through the Father except through me. And we love to talk about that. Oh, that means this person, you know, going that way or, you know, you doing that. Nope, nope, got to be Jesus. You know what? But we can also do it by, by trying to follow the law and the righteousness of God so close that we try to take Jesus out of the equation. And we got to remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish. He came to fulfill. 
And so we want Jesus to fulfill that in our lives on a daily basis. So wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, today is a day of freedom. Today can be a day where the law of sin and death and that condemnation you've been living with can finally be put away and put to bed. Or maybe you're kind of on the other side of that coin and you're kind of living a life that that isn't what God has called you to do. And you kind of fall back on that, oh, well, Jesus will forgive me anyway. You know, that's not it either. That's not how it works either. You see, Jesus gave an example to us of how to live and we're to follow that as his disciples. Not see how far we can run away from it and still make it into heaven by the skin of our teeth, if you know what I'm talking about. So today, this morning, no matter where we're at on that spectrum or anywhere in between, I believe that God, as he stated in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, wants to change our hearts, write his laws inside of us, so that we will follow them out of love and dedication and understanding of what he has done for us and live in the freedom that that type of relationship brings. That's what he desires. So no matter where we are, today can be a day of freedom. Today can be a day of restoration. Today can be a day where we allow God to change us from the inside out. No matter how fleshy or how hard your heart is, God can make it new. And even better. And so I ask, pray with me. Pray with me. Don't, don't just sit there and wait. You know where you're at. The Spirit is speaking to hearts and lives right now. And wherever you're at, wherever you're at, God wants to do something in you. Don't miss this moment. So I'm going to pray over you, but don't sit there. Don't just wait. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now. And God, we understand what the law is. We understand why it was given. And we also understand that Jesus, you didn't come to throw it away or to say it wasn't valid. You came to fulfill it. You came to show us what it meant. You came to show us how to live. You came to show us what it was to have freedom from that law because of your death and resurrection. But at the same time, We follow it. We do those things, not out of religious obligation, not so we can be spiritual or more spiritual than the next person, but because we love you and because you are a good father and you know what's best for your kids. And so, Father, no matter where we're at, take those things out. Give us a new heart. No matter how fleshy or how hard it is, you can come and you can change us and you can make us new. Don't let us live in the bondage of the law anymore. Don't let us live in the bondage, follow me, don't let us live in the bondage of freedom anymore. But let us live under the new covenant, which is a covenant of love and grace and peace and mercy that we know you're still transforming us still making us and so we strive in love to follow you and when we stumble and we fall we run to our dad and say dad I messed up I'm sorry and our father picks us up in his arms of love and he says I got you it's okay let's keep moving let's keep growing let's keep becoming who I've called you to be what a beautiful unbelievably beautiful relationship we get to have with our God Father, no matter where we're at, if we've missed it, let us embrace it today. We love you.
thank you. 